0: Welcome to the ABR Podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Peter Rose and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $50 for Print Plus Online. Our guest this week is Shannon Burns. Shannon is well known to ABR readers. He first wrote for us in 2013. Two years later, he held an ABR Writers' Fellowship, which resulted in his long profile of Gerald Manane. This appeared in our August 2015 issue and is well worth revisiting as Gerald Manane's Lustre Grows. Now Shannon has written what I think is a remarkable new memoir. It's called Childhood, and it's from Text Publishing. I review it in the October issue of ABR. Readers must discover the grimness and poignancy of Shannon Burns' childhood on their own. And I must say, it's one of the more troubling memoirs I've ever read. Suffice to say, by way of background, that Shannon's upbringing was harrowing. He was moved around from parents to step-parents to foster parents and others. It's a tale of abuse and neglect and of remarkable indifference from authorities who should have intervened but didn't. The author relates it in direct, uncompromising prose without a trace of self-pity. This is no misery memoir, miserable, though the boy understandably was. Shannon Burns, welcome to the ABR podcast. Thanks for having me, Peter. And congratulations at the outset on the publication of your book, Childhood. It's such an achievement. To say that your childhood and adolescence were unhappy is an understatement. The word nightmarish often came to mind as I was reading the book, but it's also deeply fascinating and involving, I hope not in a prurient way. Did you always know that you would end up writing about what happened to you as a child? No, I didn't. I think that maybe as a child, I
1: had a desire, but you, you have a desire to tell people the things that are unsaid or or untold in your life uh, to a a degree, but that never really extended to my ideas of writing or of being a writer. So I think that I certainly contemplated writing autobiographical fiction, which would be something like, you know, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't draw on the more extreme elements of the story i think that my taste forbid (laughs) that Mm. kind of um forbid me from sort of addressing those those types of events i think that they would have seemed to overwhelm the style and the story and the kind of narrative effects that I would have wanted to go for. So no, I didn't contemplate writing a memoir until very late. And in fact, the first time that I wrote memoir, which, you know, the opening sections of this book are from an early attempt um, to write memoir. And it was, again, it was attached to fiction. And the idea was that I was connecting something that I was doing in a work of fiction to an original experience or an original story. So no, I, I would say that the events that are described in this book were things that I wanted to forget about, that mm-hmm. I wanted to leave behind completely. I did
0: not want to re- rework them into fiction. What, what, do, you really. think, what do you think triggered that, that change in tack, as it were? Becoming
1: a parent was one of the things, so um, when you become a parent, you have to you have to consider your personality, your temperament, you know, why you are the way that you are, and how that's going to feed into your parenting. But also, I became aware of other people's misconceptions about me, whereas it had originally seemed kind of fun and funny. That people had a bit of a distorted idea of where I came from and and my personal background. It began to seem like a barrier in the way of intimacy with people, in the way of them knowing me and me being able to know them. So I think that I started writing Uh, following on from that. It was about self understanding to a degree, but it was also a desire to show people parts of myself that I'd previously concealed and I thought that maybe it was
0: ungenerous of me to conceal so much. Well, it's a very generous uh, book that you have written for us. I once wrote a kind of memoir about something that happened in my own family. Um, Morally and ethically, it was probably the hardest thing I've tackled. but artistically and imaginatively, it was liberating and the book seemed to write itself in about four months. What was your experience? Was it fluent and sort of intuitive, a kind of outpouring in that way? I think that some of it was. Some of it was quite easy. This
1: this book came out of some smaller autobiographical essays, and I found it fairly easy to write those because you can dip in and out of the life, and it doesn't take too much of a toll. It doesn't occupy too much of your inner life, you know, to, to just take a little slice um, and to deal with it in a particular context and then to leave it behind. I found that pretty easy and fluent. I found it much more difficult once I was writing a book and I had to fight against a real unwillingness. I didn't want to revisit the events that are described. It was kind of unnatural to me. It felt a bit pathological. It felt like I was doing something unhealthy. You know, like I was getting an insight into a way of handling those events that that would have been debilitating. You know, if I was naturally inclined to work over and revisit things in that way, so it felt bad actually <laughs> writing writing it for the most part. But formally, it was relatively easy. It's pretty sequential and linear. I had to find the right style though certainly early drafts of this book were uh, would be unrecognizable compared to what what you read now Mm -hmm. I think I was trying some formal things that were a way of avoiding the content you know I wanted to explore it uh, in an interesting way and I wanted to do it in a way that would satisfy my own um, sensibilities but ultimately i settled on a fairly straightforward approach and once i found the style uh, and the narrative point of view that i wanted to use it was relatively easy to to write the story it was pretty fluent unpleasant but fluent and then and then it was a question really of what to include and what not to include you know the formal demands of the book Mm. take hold eventually and then that's a way of making it easier and and clarifying
0: things did any of the memoirists that have interested you have a kind of direct influence that you can place on your own book so no
1: look the the memoirists who i most admire wrote very different kinds of books. I can talk about a, a couple of different kinds of memoir here. So probably I have a quote from Tolstoy at the at the beginning of the book, and his from childhood. His book is beautiful. It's quite a simple book, but it's beautiful, and he's writing about an idyllic childhood. And I I, I love his approach to that. Um, Nabokov's um, Speak, Memory is mm-hmm. probably my favourite memoir. But that is also largely about an incredibly idyllic childhood, which is so rich in artistic endeavours, rich in observation, rich in human relationships, uh, and all of that kind of conditions Nabokov's way of being in the world thereafter, and it has an effect on his writing, on his proses. His books are so full of life, and it comes from a childhood that is full of life in the best way. And Tolstoy is similar. So you know, those are the those are the books that I really admire. But they're not really connected to the subject or to the content of my own work. They're a kind of they work in opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most influential nonfiction writer, memoirist, or, or the you know the style that I drew from. And I don't want to make a connection to content here because we're dealing with vastly different things. But I, I read quite a bit of, you know, testimonial literature. So after uh, things like Primo Levi and Holocaust literature or post-genocide or, you know, all of those things. And the thing that really struck me about those works was the clarity of the prose, mm-hmm. um, the simple, almost cold, the coldness of style precision, a willingness to look at things directly. The the language is not overly emotional. They just allow a fairly plain description to um, hold all of the emotional force. And I think that that was most influential to me. I thought that, you know, if these writers could go through much more, um, you know, horrific experiences and come out and and write about it in that way, then then I should be able to do that as well.
0: We all know that memory is faulty and that memoirs can be unreliable. Yours feels almost relentlessly credible. What's your sense of the memoirist's obligation to tell the truth in that kind of testimonial way that you were just talking about?
1: Yeah, I I think it differs according to the project.
0: So for me, the task, um, which was
1: set out in the early pages of the book, um, was to write from memory, largely, with very few prompts. I don't have mementos. I don't have school photographs, report cards. And I don't really have relationships from the period that I'm talking about. So it's really just me thinking back and trying to untangle things, trying to place them in the right order, trying to query myself, query the the integrity of the memories, but only up to a certain degree, you know, not so much that it undermines the boy's perspective entirely. So, you know, the first section is written in first person, present. And I chose to do that partly because I found when I was writing in the third-person past tense that I was fairly constantly asking, is this true? Can this be true? And I thought that that was getting in the way of the story. And it was strange to say, maybe, but it felt a little bit unfair on the boy. (laughs) But, um, you know, he's this later version of him. Querying the story that he wants to tell, and I know that that sounds strange, but that so so I ultimately settled on the on the first person um, present to avoid some of that self interrogation, even though it's still there. I have to say, you know, I, I aimed for honesty, but truth seemed mm-hmm. out of reach. Truth seems out of reach when it comes to this kind of autobiographical project. You know, I try to be a credible storyteller. Um, but you know there are times in the book where you know I was I was maybe only you know seventy percent sure that this was correct, and I just felt that I needed sometimes to just risk credibility um, and to <laughs> and to just go ahead and sort of accept that version. I think that um, you know with a voice like this, uh, with a book like this, you are trying to get at a truth. That was untold, uh, so you do have a real fidelity to the truth, um, even though it might be an unrealizable ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is there, um, but I think that I was aiming for for honesty more than truth, and I would I would hate to think that that the rhetorical effects uh, that I use, that I can muster, you know, which is about telling a story in in a reasonably ordered way it's about you know not being not seeming to exaggerate Uh, these are kind of rhetorical effects to a degree i i would hope that readers still are a little bit suspicious um i know that i as a reader would accept the story, but also have in the back of my mind a a sense that, you know, this is is a human being who might not even know when something isn't quite true. He might not even know what he's trying to conceal um, from himself. And so it can be honest and truthful only up to a point. I definitely didn't fabricate so that was, I was keen to avoid that. And where I noticed exaggeration, I felt deeply embarrassed. So mm-hmm. um, as mentioned, I drew from some autobiographical essays and in the process of turning that material over and and into this book, you know, I noticed some little exaggerations, which, which I felt totally ashamed <laughs> of. And, and so, you know, that was a, a lesson fairly early on when it came to writing this, I would feel ashamed, you know, to exaggerate. But at the same time, I'm sure that there are... This is a story from one person's perspective and if you wanted to um, get the full story, you would have to talk to lots of other people.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a tale, isn't it, that didn't need exaggeration or embellishment. Um, Can I ask you, when you were working on the book and analysing and remembering um, what happened to you, all these upheavals um, that you were subjected to really from infancy, it sounds like, well into your adolescence. Did any of it really kind of shock you or surprise you or are you at 40 reflecting on what did happen to you kind of beyond shock?
1: Yes, not shock. I think I am beyond shock. Um, you know, the nearest I come to strong feeling about events in the book are uh, on the occasions when I look at my children and I will think, you know, that they're, they're at the age that I was when X happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is and, you know, through that, I I feel that, that that it's shocking. So I'm kind of contemplating, you know. How I would feel if it happened to them. And that's a that's a shocking feeling. That's probably my only access to shock. But I am aware that, you know, that the things that I've become used to, or the things that I had to learn to deal with, um, are not things that other people (laughs) have learned to deal with. And um and I have noticed that other people, when they have read. Uh, the book, or read parts of the book, that they and um, they have quite a strong a reaction, and through them, I can almost experience some of that uh, emotion. Um, but it's still it is pretty distant uh, for me.
0: Yes, re- reading the book, I must say, is is quite an emotional business. The book, though, never sentimental or self pitying is graphic some of the scenes from your childhood are simply confronting every 50 pages or so i felt as i had to put it down and go for a long walk (laughs) i'll I'll cite one example which will always stay with me about when your stepmother herself a heavy smoker uh, expected you and you were very young i think to smoke a full packet of cigarettes believing that you'd taken up the habit despite your protestations and your dislike of smoking. How conscious were you of the likely effects such passages would have on readers? You went through a kind of hell as a child. Was part of your intention to give readers a sense of what it's like to be, you know, starved, abused, beaten, rejected, and... I might add, ignored by authorities who surely should have intervened and helped you?
1: Yes, to a degree. Um, these things are slightly subjective in the story. So to give an example, um, when it comes to one of the sections is called hunger, um, and that's one of the themes of the book. And I recall being very hungry at various points throughout childhood and being perplexed, especially living with my father and stepmother, confused by by their unwillingness to let me <laughs> eat as much as I felt that I needed um, I was extremely active and they were fairly sedentary I think you know there was maybe a, just a confusion about need to a degree but then also I have I have done some work on becoming a, a foster carer, mm-hmm. and one of the things that was repeated throughout you know some of the introductory um, courses uh, seminars that they give on it was the tendency the almost universal tendency on the part of children who go into care to to be Extremely hungry yeah. um, all of the time. It's one. It's I guess their physical, physiological response to the various anxieties and and, and their anguish. It's a, it's a way of soothing uh, themselves, as I understand it. And so, I had to think back, you know, to my my own experience. You know, was it a was it an outlandish hunger that I had? Was it and just this immense hunger that that wasn't normal. And so maybe um, people were responding in an understandable way to that hunger. And when they withheld food, it was because they were confronted with this, with this child who, yeah, who was expressing his anxiety um, through hunger. You know, that's, that's a possibility. And that makes, you know, that's one of the ways that the experiences described are a little bit subjective.
0: One of the ironies in the book is that uh, when you ended up with foster parents, they themselves deprived you of adequate food didn't they, because I think they weren't receiving enough money from government or something. they had some uh, explanation yes
1: yeah they, they weren't happy about how they were being compensated mm. and this is one of the problems with you know with institutional forms of child care and child protection is that you end up with You know, the the people who are willing to do it for whatever reason, they're not perfect. Um, And sometimes they're they're the opposite (laughs) of perfect Mm. Um, for the job. I'm not sure that people understood this hunger thing, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago. I'm not sure that they understood it so well. And, yes, the the foster carers had very strong rules around food, very strong rules around behaviour and they had obviously had quite a few children circle through so they had preconceived ideas they were very um, suspicious and there was a the sense that that there was a burden that they were carrying and that you had to be very grateful to them um for for carrying that burden but yeah you know when it comes to that they are the ones who are willing to do it and uh, there's no no other obvious solution. So when you talk about it being a kind of hell, you know, to me, it was just the reality that I was given. I don't think I experienced it as hell. I experienced it as hard, which is a bit different and unfair. Children always have a strong sense of fairness and unfairness. And I was like all children um, in that regard. It felt brutally unfair (laughs) at times. Um, But, you know, fairness was something that that existed somewhere else as a kind of ideal. I wasn't living inside a world of fairness. So you accommodate that too. So it wasn't that I was wanting to give people an experience of a kind of hell. It was just that I wanted people to get a sense of the kinds of difficulties that some people do live through, the ways that they manage those difficulties and the, the impact that it has on them in the moment and then probably, you know, temperamentally over time.
0: Memoirs are restorative historically, you've touched on that, and they can also be restorative kind of existentially but they can also be punitive, and pretty rare is the memoirist who doesn't settle the odd score along the way. Were you conscious of that temptation when you were writing the book? Yes. uh, I was was keen not
1: to be explicitly judgmental where I could avoid it. I, I understood that just by describing certain things that this is Almost punitive uh, already. You know, I'm, I'm I'm exposing people to a degree, even though it is mediated in the narrative style, uh, and even though you know they're they're unnamed, and there's the question of you know the integrity of memory and all of those things. All of those things are in the background, but that but I'm still, in a way, condemning people just by describing events. And when it comes to those kinds of condemning events. I was really careful, I think, to be, to be as truthful and, and, and as honest as possible. It seemed very important um, to get those bits right.
0: Yes, I can imagine what a delicate business this must have been, because while you don't name the individuals, they are, in a sense, um, because you are who you are and where you are, um, in the same city, they are identifiable and some of the people in your background are still alive. Yes, yes, yes,
1: um, and and that's uncomfortable. It's deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> um, but also part of you know that discomfort is part of what energizes the book too, to a degree. You know, to be to be callous about it. You know, that's one of the things that you're drawn to as a writer is the uncomfortable moment, and there is something transgressive about it. Um, memoirs are not. You know, there's something. To my mind, there's something kind of fundamentally indecent about memoirs. There's a heck of a lot of self-exposure and exposing others. And in a sense, you know, the question really is, is this morally dubious behavior worth it? Does the book make it worthwhile? And I think that that remains an open question most of the time. And some of the people who are a version of them is in the book. Some of those people will say that it's definitely not worth it. Um, to be exposed in that way. And, you know, that's just something that I have to deal with. I think that you can't separate the events described in the book from the person who wrote the book. There's something about what I describe uh, in the book. You know, maybe one of the things that um, those kinds of experience produce is a writer. They produce a writer. And a writer can't be trusted to behave decently all the time. Mm -hmm. A writer is going to consider the demands of the book he's writing and probably going to value them as highly as the demands of common decency. And I think that maybe, you know, some of my early experiences feed into the approach that I've taken with the book, which is I don't have very strong um, family connections. You know, I have some family who I'm still in touch with and I'm I'm very fond of them. But there is an element of disconnection there. And that disconnection is part of what makes it possible or what made it possible for me to write a book like this.
0: Shannon, one last question, if I I may. When I wrote um, Rose Boys many years ago, readers would often ask me if it was cathartic for me. And I'd answer as best I could and say, well, it was, as I've said, artistically liberating, but that it altered nothing. I mean, the person who went through that um, experience was dead. A memoir changes changes nothing. What has your book done for you? Has it sort of resolved things, altered your sense of what happened or just accentuated um, your sense of those times? Um, I think that for, for me, you know, one of the risks that all
1: people have to face is just falling into a pattern of self-understanding and rolling with it throughout their lives. And, and it can be uh, limiting. So writing a memoir does give you an opportunity to reshape your sense of your past. And in my case, there were some things that I wasn't, that I was uncomfortable about temperamentally. I'm not totally sure that my love of literature, for example, which is one of the kind of, you might say, is a a redeeming force in this book. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that maybe I've invested a little too much into it. There's an extent to which, well, it's true even now. Um, I like books more than people. Sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes, <laughs> and that's that's a really uncomfortable thing. I'm not sure that that's uh, whereas before I think I would have just rolled with that. Now, on reflection, I think that maybe this is partly a product of those early experiences, and and it and it's a bit impoverishing. Um, so you know, self awareness, some degree of self awareness can be acquired in the process of writing memoir, but a little bit like you. That boy that is described in the book, who is, you know, decades removed from me, things are unchanged for him. There's no no one is coming in to, to help him out or to, or to rescue him in, in that moment, in those moments. And I do feel a great distance from him. Part of what I had to try to do was to get closer to him. I think that I really left him behind, just like everyone else for a long time, had turned away from him. So I'd made some, you know, restorative attempt to redeem my own attitude to him, which was, you know, it's too much of a, of a weight to bear. And he's too demanding. He demands too much from me, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and I left him behind. Now, this book sort of recaptures him to a degree, but it's imperfect and it's not really him. It's my version of him. So he's still a little bit lost. He's lost to time. And, you know, there's nothing that can be done for him, sadly.
0: Yes, well, the boy bore what he bore alone, didn't he, really unhelped. That's one of the, the striking things, looking beyond family in one's immediate circumstances. You know, society, authorities have responsibilities and what is most stark in the book for me was that this kind of massive neglect, I'm just astonished that at some, you know, at some point there should have clearly have been intervention but there was not, and this makes the book very poignant to read. Shannon, whether the book is cathartic or not, you've really uh, created a searing, uncompromising and utterly remarkable book, and uh, I congratulate you and, uh, and thank you so much for joining the ABR podcast. Thanks, Peter. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors, who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.